lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin and he is Aaron McIntyre. And we just had... We just had a moment here before we went on the air. Um, tomorrow, we are going to screen the first footage from the film version of my 2016 uh, book, A Nefarious Plot. We are going to screen the first extended footage, an entire five-minute scene. So we're just going to skip the trailer process and go right to actually showing you a part of the actual movie. All right. And we'll have trailers and stuff later, but we we are going to show a, a good five minute block that takes smack dab, takes place right in the middle of the film. And we're going to show this to a pretty large audience tomorrow uh, at the Family Leaders Leadership Summit. And there will be, I guess we should call it uh, a few VIPs. Uh, if you know anything about the donor list that Bob has amassed here uh, from around the country, there are going to be a few people in the audience whose opinions, without mentioning any names, of course, but a few people whose opinions on such matters are pretty important. Fair? Fair. Because you guys know who some of those names are. We yep. just aren't going to mention them on the right. air, right? All right. So this is a big moment, obviously, okay? And it's it's more footage than I asked our filmmakers to show, because I was fine and content if we just put together a teaser trailer than like, you know, a one-minute clip. And then as they were editing the, editing the film, they were like, no, I think we actually want to show a good five minute of a scene, an entire scene, and give that audience a, a good look at Nefarious. So you guys just had a chance to watch this, literally in the last, this scene, in the last 15 minutes right before we went on the air, okay? Without giving absolutely anything away, because we're not going to release this scene publicly after it is displayed for this audience tomorrow, we're we're just going to treat this audience as our test tube uh, babies, our test subjects to get their reaction. Okay, um, so we will not be releasing the the entirety of this clip uh, to the public. It's just going to air for this audience tomorrow. But what are you guys' takes on what you just saw, without giving anything away, for our audience? What's your reaction? Two thumbs way up. I can't really say anything more than that. All right. Aaron is worried about spoiling it. Yeah. Because Aaron has also read the script. So you are concerned about commenting further without giving anything away. Yeah, which I completely understand. So Todd, give me your vinegar-laced thoughts. Who who has not read the script and has not seen anything from this film at all other than what you've heard from me or Aaron secondhand. As I told you, I promised myself, based on concerns you've already shared on the show, your worries about it, that I was going to be absolutely honest with you. And uh, that would potentially not be fun. But you made a point of, as Aaron and I were watching the screen, you were behind the screen looking at us. Mm-hmm. You've seen me stare at you for several years now when you're explaining something and what I, how I'm taking it. I hope you, I could feel it in my eyes and on my face. If you were staring at me like, it's, it's happening. I I was concerned. I had no doubt that the the script would be excellent in a clinical sense. But I mean just reading it cold off a piece it of cold. paper. But we've yeah. all been But can you bring it to life? We've all been to a sermon where the pastor 
read it, and the pastor spoke it, Mm. breathed life into it. I was concerned about that, that you would be able to listen to some really solid apologetics in there, but it really didn't need to be a movie. And so you'd be like, that was good. And I, you just, but I, I felt those five minutes at an existential level. I can't, I can't give it a hair compliment. It's, which is vital and it's important with the state of our current union. We, we can't mess around. You need to walk out of this movie being scared straight. And that five minutes was promising. If that's carried through, you've done your job and so have everybody else go uh, good and faithful servant and the rest is up to god any quick thoughts before we move on to the meat of the show the meat of this movie is the interplay between our protagonist and antagonist and depending on your point of view you might have a different point of view of who the protagonist and the antagonist is all right but sean patrick flannery as nefarious and then jordan belfi as um the psych- is, is James Martin, the psychiatrist that is evaluating him for a, for a potential execution on death row. Your Belfi- thought on the back and forth between the two of them and what you saw. Belfi's performance, I, I was not familiar with him. It really surprised me how uh, natural the interplay was between them. You really felt like you were watching for real. It, it was like the Elvis movie. Uh, you really felt like you were watching Elvis on the screen there. That's kind of... It felt real. It felt authentic. And uh, like really, you felt like you were in the middle. You were in that yeah, room watching this correct. conversation happen. Okay. It's interesting. Aaron and I had different takes. Uh, about, I was really focused on Sean Patrick Flannery. And just to prep every the choice uh, by the actor, the director, in tandem, whatever, of, of the cadence of the speech, uh, it's, it's aggressive and you you will be exhausted just by that at the end, and that's good because the devil doesn't come at you at the pace you want him to. He comes at him at his pace, and he 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 can't be bothered. It's it's really an assault on the senses. You 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 feel like you you might need like an. In, it's not a long movie as you've told me. Right, before. this could be about a ninety minute film. You feel like you might need an intermission because it's just brilliant in its pacing in these five minutes it is a i could feel the demonic assault happening no no one one final thing that won't really give anything away um if you've read frank peretti's books uh specifically piercing the darkness we're we're going for that kind of a vibe if you've read uh the screw tape letters yeah uh if you are a believer or if you are just an honest person you are looking behind your shoulder that's the feeling that i got after reading this script you're going to get that times 10 if this clip that we saw today is any indication about what the rest of the film is like. Our president here at Blaze TV, Gaston Mooney, when he read the script last summer, told me that after he read it, he actually went up to his son's rooms and prayed over them after reading the script along the lines of what you are describing, Aaron. And so final question, and then we will move on to the rest of the show. And uh, I'm, I, I just want to make sure we don't cross the line between indulging my own insecurities and and the fact that our audience has asked me uh, and asked us about this film uh, so many times the last few years that I know you're interested in where things are at in its progress. So, but I don't want to get self-indulgent while we talk about it either. So just one more question. Okay. I, I what we, I think this is the, the, 
this is the threshold that we have to cross for this film to be successful beyond the, you know, the nuts and bolts of marketing and those sorts of things from a content perspective. Even though this is a Christian film, will it, will the level of writing, will the level of performance and the, and the heft and weight of the dialogue with no cheese factor, no schmaltz factor, will this prompt for those of you that are watching when you go to see it next year, likely, will this prompt you to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take my friends and family members who I don't know where they're at right now. I'm going to take them to see it because this is going to spark a conversation because our intent here with this film is to put the ball on the tee for you. That's our intent. Okay. And is to give just, just like we have to come to grips with our own depravity and sinfulness to get converted, to ask for a savior, right? All right. To plead for a savior, to forgive us. We won't do that. If we think everything's great, we will only do that when we realize we're not right along those lines. We are literally trying to scare the hell out of the culture with this film. Literally. We, we want the, we want the culture to come to grips with the fact that evil is real and then we have to reconcile that. What, what does that mean then about us? What do we do about it? What does it say about us, right? That's what, even, that's what the conversations between Nefarious and our psychiatrist throughout the course of this film, that's what we want, that you guys now, after you see it, to pick that up when it ends with your unconverted, unbelieving friends and family members, because now they are drawn in to the quality of the, of the story that we just told. Let me answer it this way. Uh, the the guys making this movie, this is not their first rodeo. They've done incredible work. They've done Unplanned. Mm-hmm. They've been part of what? God's is not God, dead. God's not dead, yeah. Uh, these are not small films. These are known uh, in the pop culture. God's not dead made $100 million. Yes, yes okay. Yeah. But... Uh, these guys need to prepare for a new world. This movie, to me, to answer your question, is the difference for what you knew about M. Night Shyamalan before Sixth Sense and afterwards. Wow. I, 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 it, based on this five minutes, and I was concerned. It was going to be hard to do this. These five minutes are brilliant. You could not have done better in any way, shape, or form. This will entirely change the game for this production studio. If hearts are not hardened, I think we will see the outcome that you described there. Because I said with Piercing the Darkness and screw tape Letters, you know, if you're a believer or just an honest person, I, I would amend that to if your heart, if you're not a believer, but your heart is not hardened, those things will force this, this, this film will force will force a question at the very end, and I'm not going to give any anything more about that. And it's not done in a cheesy or, or uh, cliche way. It will force a question at the end. And those who have ears to hear and whose hearts have not been completely hardened, it will force an answer as well. I am relieved. I am relieved because when I watched it last night for the first time, I also was blown away. But you also aren't sure, are you getting high on your own supply, right? So 
Uh, thank you guys for the conversation. Here's what's coming up on the show here today at the bottom of this hour. What's the appeal of Ron DeSantis other than the obvious? We'll get into that. Next hour, Theology Thursday, we'll continue our look at my most recent book, Do What You Believe or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer. And then since we are off tomorrow, because I am going to be at the Leadership Summit uh, screening this footage right about the time we'll be on the air, actually. Uh, So since we're off tomorrow, we're going to do an abbreviated Feedback Friday uh, coming up to close things out in the final segment of the show. Also want to let you know that time is running out to make sure that you can evacuate your children from the government school system. If you are looking for a last minute option you haven't considered that may end up being the right choice for you and your family. Check out Freedom Project Academy. I can't give it a better endorsement other than I know personally the people who started and run the school. I worked with them in the in opposition together to Common Core back in the day. And then a few years ago, I had my own son, Noah. Uh, I had him enrolled in Freedom Project Academy for a couple of years. And if it weren't for his interest in football and other extracurricular activities, he probably would have just gone there all the way through. He really enjoyed it. So they know what they're doing when it comes to mastery of subject matter that matters, not spirit of the age propaganda, encouraging, if not demanding critical thinking and not um, you know, inculcation and indoctrination. Get a free informat- get a free information packet today. Easy for me to say. When you head over to freedomforschool.com, that's F-O-R, the preposition, not the number. Freedomforschool.com. Again, that's freedomforschool.com. So let us begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Dementia. Joe Biden is making his first trip to the Middle East as president. He arrived in Tel Aviv, Israel yesterday, and after he fumbled around on the tarmac at Ben-Gurion Airport, he delivered this message. Blood alone moves the wheels of history. Whoops, wrong clip. I will once more return to the hollow ground of Yad Vashem to honor six million Jewish lives were stolen in the genocide and continue, which we must do every, every day, continue to bear witness. To keep alive the truth and honor of the Holocaust, horror of the Holocaust. Speaking of Biden, Pope Francis says his support of baby killing while claiming he's Catholic is, quote, incoherence. Chief Elizabeth Warren is back on the warpath against crisis pregnancy centers. In Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts and we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that. Aaron's razor update. It's just demonic bro. During a House Oversight Committee hearing yesterday on the future of baby killing, a witness named Sarah Lopez had this to say. What these restrictions are intended to do is try and make people, try and stop people from having abortions. But abortion is health care. My abortion was the best decision I ever made. It was an act of self-love. And I'm here today to make sure that everybody who currently needs an abortion, who has had an abortion or will need an abortion, is not alone no matter what the state tries to force upon us. A man in Columbus, Ohio, was charged this week with impregnating a 10-year-old Ohio girl whose travel to Indiana to seek to kill the baby led to national attention and subsequent doubts about the veracity of the claims. 27-year-old Gershon Fuentes, an illegal alien, 
was arrested Tuesday after police say he confessed to raping the child on at least two occasions. He's since been charged with rape, a felony in the first degree in Ohio. Meanwhile, at the border, according to Fox News' Bill Malugin, who's made over 25 trips to the border, what you're watching right now is the most massive single border crossing he's ever witnessed. The illegals were spotted crossing the Rio Grande at Eagle Pass, Texas. The New York Times wrote a glowing profile of Ray Epps this week. Epps, as you're probably aware, is the man seen on video both before and during the events at the Capitol on January 6th, apparently egging protesters on. Epps, of course, has not been charged with any crime and has been at the center of inquiry as to whether or not he was a federal asset. The Times' piece paints Epps in a sympathetic light and as a victim of right-wing attacks and says he's quote-unquote suffering. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis held a meeting of top donors and fellow GOP governors recently. The meeting involved names like Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee, and conservative media figures like Buck Sexton and Josh Hammer. Two recent polls from Neighborhood Research are very favorable for Ron DeSantis in Iowa and New Hampshire. In Iowa, Trump leads only by 21 points over DeSantis with 36% undecided. In New Hampshire, Trump's lead is only 19 points. A federal court has granted multiple state attorneys general requests to discovery and documents from top Biden White House officials and social media companies in an attempt to prove collusion between those parties to suppress and censor free speech. And finally, this from the Babylon Bee, Elizabeth Warren condemns Underground Railroad for tricking slaves into escaping. And that's what happened while we were away. That is absolutely perfect. How many years did we hear? Well, who's going to take care of those mothers and their children? This is just straight up evil. Yes. And we were like, well, actually, we've been investing in these crisis pregnancy centers all this time. And now we're investing more. Even states are investing in them. Like our own state of Iowa is actually investing in them now. And so now they see that we're serious about loving them both and and answering their challenge and have actually been answering it this entire time. Uh, Now it's just like, well, we have to shut these things down. Because this is nothing, all the talking points were always a lie. It's always just been a death cult. They just want to kill those kids, period. That's it. And then they, after they decide to do so and their conscience is seared, they then want the, 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 the murder they committed affirmed. How dare you do anything, even indirectly, that would prick their conscience, provoke it. How dare you? Crisis pregnancy centers are very apolitical. <laughs> a lot of them wouldn't invite someone like me to come speak because they try to just remain very apolitical. This gets to the whole tone argument too, by the way. Well, we're just gonna we're not gonna confront this evil head on. We're just gonna do nice stuff and loving stuff here on the side, and they'll leave us alone. They only come after you guys because you guys, like you, Steve, with your persona and your and your uh, identity and your aggression, you provoke them. If we just go over here and take care of all these single moms and love on them, they'll leave us. No, they won't. And they never will. That's okay. I won't get angry at you because it'll be people like me that'll protect you from them. Because they were always going to come for you, whether you whether whether you directly confronted them or provoked them or not, because your Christ likeness whether it is demonstrated with a direct confrontation or indirectly through mercy, grace, and charity, that is what is offensive to them. So they were always going to come for you for daring to display it. 
whether it was a sinner's in the hand of an angry God, Paul-level sermon, or whether you were Mother Teresa in Calcutta, how dare you shine any light in the darkness, no matter what method of light you shine. It was always about that. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever abandon. I know everybody has seen Top Gun. Let me remind you. Never abandon your wingman. Don't ever leave your wingman. Don't ever say, well, we're not like these people over here. We're nice and kind. Because once you're done separating people like me from people like you, they will then just devour you without people like me to protect you from them. Don't ever abandon your weak man. Don't ever do it. There was never enough tone. There was never enough nice. And there was never enough grace you were ever going to show to convince the seared conscience of Elizabeth Warren that you are anything other than a stench in her nostrils. Because she doesn't need to be lovingly and gently prodded because of her sin. She needs to be confronted because of it. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at My Patriot Supply. If you don't think you'll need emergency food, well, you probably didn't think you were going to need emergency toilet paper either. Or emergency baby formula, which is another form of food. All right, too late. All right, so get signed up today with our friends over at My Patriot Supply. If you go to this website, preparewithdace.com, and get free shipping as well as $150 off their three-month emergency food kit. That is three meals a day for you and everyone in your household. That includes snacks and drinks. And it will stay good for over 20 years with the proper storage, all right? So save 150 bucks and get free shipping today when you go to preparewithdace.com. Again, that is preparewithdace.com. To the montage we go, and there's a, there's a couple of other things I want to address that I think we need to, to clarify, just as I think we needed to clarify again. Again, there is, there is no level of nice. It's, it, you know, Todd makes, well, several brilliant points, but one of the most brilliant points he's ever made is the correct context of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That first you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. See, whether you are the guy who stands up in the town square and says, you are a son of the devil to the deceiver, like that's what I'm called to do, or whether you're the person that puts hands and feet on the gospel, that washes the feet and clothes the naked, which is what a lot of these crisis pregnancy centers, God bless them, do. It's the fact that you are doing so first because you love the Lord thy God, the only living God in all of the cosmos. Because you love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, that is what draws the opposition. And there is no method of loving your neighbor as you love yourself that they will not oppose because you honor that first command. Keep that in mind. That's why we need to work together and not say things like, well, you know, we're nicer and kinder and not like that other group. The wolf nods slyly and says, oh, yes, of course. Show me around. Then you'll wish after you let him in that you had more, maybe a few more of those not nice brothers and sisters like us here at your side when he takes off the mask and just shows you the claws and the fangs. A couple other things I'd like to clarify here. It is once more important for us to understand the distinction between pagan and demonic. 
because about 10 years ago on this show, I was using the word pagan all of the time. That we were being taken back to a pre-Judeo-Christian understanding of the world. A pre-Western civilization or Christendom view of the world. A pre-Western or biblical understanding of morality, government, pretty much everything. With the woman who testified, and keep in mind, this is, this is what's gone on this week. Just this week. And if you are one of those sweater-vested, pleated khaki pastors who you are convinced you are just going to love love this civilization out of the abyss with, of course, your definition of love and not the Bible's. This week, this wasn't, the, this wasn't a Reddit forum. This wasn't the comment section of some nut job blog at Mother Jones or Vox. This was the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives. Two of the hallowed halls of power centralized in this culture. And this week within those walls, a woman demanded indignantly that you agree with her that a man can get pregnant. And then the next day, a woman calmly but confidently said the best thing she's ever done in her life was murder her child. No. There's not enough sweater vest at Joseph A. Bank to kindly and gently push that back. Because we have skipped the pagan now. Paganism is still a recognition of transcendence. It is a warped one. It is a flawed one, a retarded one. It can even be a directly, demonically conceived and therefore deception of one. Like a, like a Molech or a Chemosh or a Baal. But this woman... She just skipped right on past the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. She's like, I'm not offering my baby up to Molech. I'm offering him up to me. I offered my child as a sacrifice to me. Because ye be like God. The original sin, the original temptation, that is demonic. There is no transcendence. I am the Most High. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend the words the prophet Isaiah directly attributes to Lucifer as the inspiration for his fall from grace, the devil. We're just going to skip past all the demonic constructs of paganism. We're going to skip right past that. I killed my child for me. I did it for me. And I loved it. And I love myself for doing it. Come, let us adore me. I do. We are past Odin trees and snakes in Ireland and druids. Way pe- We're past that now. We are right now at the heart of darkness now. I'm going to bypass all deities, even the fake demonically inspired one. 
And I'm really just going to worship what I really wanted to worship this entire time. Me. That's, that's what the devil thinks. That's his heart of darkness. Finally, on the Ray Epps front. I will be consistent here and say exactly what I said when Christine Blasey Ford made her accusations against Brett Kavanaugh at the time. Just call her publicly to testify under oath. Remember, we just... What, what, we're going around and around about this for like two weeks with this woman's allegations. Yeah, I just had the sunlight. Yeah, I just came on the show like every day for like a week. I got an idea. Let's just do this. Just put her under oath and put her on camera and let's hear what she's got. Let's let's roll. Let's and she can give her story and be cross-examined and Brett can give his and give hers. I mean, I'd certainly like to know if I was going to put a and take part in putting a marauding rapist as a father of daughters on the Supreme Court. Right? Remember yes. these conversations we had? Very well. Same thing with Ray Epps. Let's just do this. Roll the cameras. Put them under oath and let's just, let's find out. Let's just find out. This, this year and a half long ordeal of who is Ray Epps, my favorite version of which is our friend Rachel Semmel going to Starbucks in Washington, <laughs> D.C. and identifying as him so they have to say his name over the intercom. Ray Epps, your coffee is ready. It's great. Okay. But, but kidding aside, why don't, why don't we, instead of, you know, that, how about, and I know Rachel would agree with what I'm about to say, let's just get to the truth. So let's just call them under oath on camera. They're televising these things, right? I seem to recall they were, right? Indeed. Indeed. And let's find out. Thoughts, gentlemen. And let's just end this once and for all. <laughs> Adorable, That's, right? The writers don't have plans for that yes. to be in the show. Yeah. Because this is a demonic era. It's a truthless era. That would bring us clarity, and you're not, you're not permitted that. So huge tech companies are these now global conglomerates. They pay almost nothing in taxes. They censor your speech. Uh, they work with the regime uh, in order uh, to monitor you. And then, of course, we pay them by giving them all of our data with their quote unquote free email services. This sounds like a, a deal only the devil himself could love. And yet this is the deal that we have allowed them to enjoy over in Silicon Valley, which is why do what you can to get as much of your freedom back from them as you can, and this is where our friends over at ExpressVPN comes in, um, what they do is make you anonymous online by camouflaging your IP address, replacing it with a different secure IP address of your choice. They also encrypt your data so that it's protected from hackers and anyone else that's trying to spy on you as well. And it's also very easy to use. That's why ExpressVPNs won all kinds of awards and accommodations. It's so simple to install, even I can do it. Uh, that's why I have it installed on all of my machines. And you can do it in just a matter of minutes. So if you want to protect your data with the number one rated VPN provider today, visit ExpressVPN, V as in victory, expressvpn.com slash Steve. That's expressvpn.com slash Steve. And get three months for free if you buy the one-year package. So you'll actually get... 15 months instead of 12. All right, so three extra months for free if you get the one-year package at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Well, there was a piece that I found very interesting and I read uh, the other day over at the American Mind with a very simple title, The Appeal of Ron DeSantis. Its author is the chairman of the board of directors over there at the Claremont Institute who oversees the American Mind, Thomas Klingenstein. He joins us here on the program. It's good to have you with us, Thomas. How are you? 
I'm well. Thank you for having me. So um, let's start with the title. This is a guy who a few years ago, very few people knew. If we're being honest, he was kind of a frustrated, unremarkable member of Congress, frustrated conservative and uh, a John Boehner Congress, runs for governor, wins by fewer than 40,000 votes. And you would think, Thomas, that, you know, every GOP consultant's playbook would be, you got to take it easy. You've got to walk the middle. You've got to raise your favorables. You don't have a mandate, right? You got to think about your reelect. Instead, the dude is, it has, it has decided to go, uh, you know, the Archangel St. Michael right out of heaven here on a white horse and has just thrown caution to the wind and in the last few years has done the sorts of things that we've only fantasized about Republicans would do on shows like this and now may, on, may be on his way to cruising to a historic kind of win uh, in a classic swing state like Florida. How did he do it, Thomas? What ha- what's the secret sauce here? I think the most basic thing is he's comfortable in his own skin. He knows who he is. You know, that was one of the hallmarks of Trump. Whatever you thought about his personality, uh, it didn't respond. He wasn't reacting to uh, consultants. He knows who he is. Now, the uh, the um, article that I wrote at the American Mind, that was responding to a fundraising solicitation that DeSantis had made. And most of your viewers know that solicitations of this uh, sort are not very profound, mm-hmm. are not very, um, you know, deep exegesis on, um, on policy. But what was distinguishing, I think, about this uh, fundraising email is that um, DeSantis understands that we're in a war. And that's the most important thing. If you don't understand we're in a war, almost nothing else matters. And by war, I mean that the society that's attacking us, I call them woke communisms uh, or woke com for short. They have a different understanding of a just society Mm -hmm. than we do. Mm -hmm. They think a just society is one where all identity groups are the same. If blacks are 13% of the population, well, then they should have 13% of the CEOs and the senators and the dishwashers and matriculants to um, Ivy League schools and everything else you can think of. Well, in America, as we know, a just society is where individuals are free to do what they want to do to pursue happiness And that's going to result in outcome differences. Men and women value different things. And so they're going to be represented in society in different proportions. Asians may uh, value education more than other cultures. So they will be disproportionately represented at some of our best schools. Uh, And that's true across the board. Now, the thing you have to understand is that if we're going to move as the woke comms want from a society built on free individuals where there's going to be outcome uh, inequality to this utopia where there's outcome equality, that can only be done by force. That requires a totalitarian regime, mm-hmm. by which I mean a regime that controls all aspects of public and private life. So it sounds like you agree with something I've been saying I've, to audiences I've spoken to all over the country this year, Thomas, which is 
in the history of the human species, there has never ever been a peaceable transfer of wealth, property, and liberty from one culture to another or from one sector of a culture to another, and there never will be. And the other side of this argument has reconciled itself to that and is prepared to go all the way to the mattresses. And we have a responsibility right now while this civil war is still cold and we still have a peaceable means to aggressively confront them with the freedom we have. We have to know what time it is. And we have a responsibility in our generation to peaceably but aggressively confront them in that arena. Otherwise, we risk sentencing our children and grandchildren to the other kind of uh, confrontation that they write history books about. Sounds like you might agree with that. I agree 100 percent. And I've used the expression knowing what time it is. Oh, um, I almost said Obama. Uh, DeSantis knows what time it is. He understands we're in a war and you can't win a war unless you know you're in one. And except for Trump, I don't know anybody else who has at least publicly acknowledged that we're in a war. And the thing about DeSantis as compared to Trump, DeSantis can actually explain what he means. Trump understands it, but he's not always a great explainer. And to pick up on your point a little bit, the woke comms are aiming for a utopia, like the Marxists, like the communists, right? And in a utopia, you were asked to give up your freedom for a fantasy. You were asked to give up your own decision-making for decision-making by so-called experts. That's the only way it gets done. True or false, if you don't mind me asking you a banal question, true or false? We wouldn't have Ron DeSantis as governor without Donald Trump. But in many respects, Ron DeSantis has become the fulfillment of what people hoped for in Donald Trump. Do you think that's true or false? I think that's a good argument. One way I would look at it is, you know, in business, when we start a business, it requires entrepreneurial talent. But there comes a point when the business is built, when different skills are required, Mm. a more managerial talent. So I think there's an argument that Trump was right uh, for for the times because he made us understand that we're in a war. We now understand that that, I think, is because of Trump. Now, if we want to fight it more effectively, and this is the argument for DeSantis, which I'm not convinced of, but which I think is a very plausible argument, that if we want to fight it effectively, then we need someone like DeSantis, who is somewhat of a statesman, who can actually explain, plan, develop strategies. Um, Trump was always good in his gut, but there wasn't a lot of follow through. There wasn't a lot of strategy. And I'm hoping that DeSantis has that plus. He has what Trump had in spades that is absolutely essential, and that's courage. The ability to stand up to all the major political and cultural institutions in America. Very, very unusual. Trump is a towering figure, and DeSantis is the only one I've seen who is a possible replacement has a lot of his virtues without a lot of Trump's vices. Hmm. Let me give you a couple of analogies and see if you think that might also kind of illustrate the point that you're trying to make here. 
one is a sports one. Uh, one is a historical or religious one. Um, in, in the sports vernacular, uh, that, that Trump is the polling guard. Well, they're, ironically, they're both kind of built like offensive linemen. But in this case, Trump is the polling guard opening uh, a hole through the line of scrimmage for the guy with the ball behind him to eventually run to daylight. And in, the, in a historical religious analogy, I'm not drawing a you know equivalency. It's an analogy, not an equivalency. But in the analogy, Trump is the voice in the wilderness. He is the forerunner, kind of the crazed figure, if you will, uh, preparing uh, people for the paradigm shift that is to come. Is that kind of a little bit explain what I hear you articulating a little? Yeah, I think that's very good. Both of those analogies work. Uh, obviously, a running back ain't going to run well unless he's got someone clearing the way. Uh, and we're not going to find ourselves from uh, out uh, from the wilderness unless somebody can explain where we are. And that's what Trump, as I say, didn't necessarily explain very well. But he showed us, you know, some people say that Trump was very divisive. And I don't buy that at all. I think what Trump did was reveal a divide. Mm -hmm. And that was the great thing he did. Didn't cause it, revealed it. He showed us this woke calm society and what a threat it is to America. I would say just one more thing about this. One way I look at this, as simply as I could make it, the other side hates America. We love America. If you hate America, you want to destroy it. If you love it, you want to keep it. And it isn't so much more complicated than that. So we're on a large national platform, but I live in the state of Iowa. I get, I've been very involved in 10 years of Iowa caucus cycles. I'm very you know, familiar with the presidential process as a result. And a year from now, you know, it's very likely that we're going to see Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis both in our state at the exact same time running for president. And that actually has a lot of people uh, that, that also know what time it is, that, that, would, that would think and write a lot like what you've articulated, Thomas, very nervous that these two guys will destroy each other, or that maybe Ron should wait his turn, and should we try to orchestrate something here? I kind of view it the other way, which is let's you know let's put those two guys on, on the out there in the battlefield, let them compete, and the worst thing that happens is one of them makes the other guy better. But that's that's my last question for you. How do you how do you view that that that, that vetting process, that sifting process? No, I'm I agree with you, though I. My understanding, and I know much less about you uh, than you do about this, but I thought DeSantis might not run if Trump does. But I think if he does, for exactly the reasons that you state, I think it would be very healthy and we would be able to compare them and we would be able to see DeSantis on a national stage. It's one thing to be governor. He's done very well. It's very different to be uh, president. And so the more we could see him on the national stage, the better. It's a great read over at the American Mind, The Appeal of Ron DeSantis, Thomas Klingenstein. Thank you for joining us, Thomas, uh, and, and phenomenal piece. Really enjoyed reading it. Thank you, man. Good. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that conversation. I agree completely about that Trump, while being willing to uh, rock the boat uh personally a devil may care you kind of thing he 
he is he was not the cause of divisiveness that is exactly right and that's uh, frankly what i got wrong because i thought for a long time that he was yeah. well because he's uh, on those stages mm-hmm. you know he was clearly picking fights we were joking about it when he just randomly went down and picked off Rand paul uh so but we also at the time yeah, we were worried, but we also said this is kind of necessary. Steve, nobody more than you was kind of sick of the performative nonsense of the GOP. Oh, yes. Somebody to shake that up and reveal the truth. He revealed the truth within the GOP, and he revealed the truth within the left and that they were willing to hobnob and photo op and all that stuff with Donald Trump and take his money. But when they realized that he was a threat to the long game white paper nonsense that they had been culting for a long time, they had to make sure that he was somehow suddenly Adolf Hitler, even though they took pictures with him five minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Think another tentacle is what I've talked about before. DeSantis has proved that you can govern by creating consensus where most GOP governors and Greg Abbott always scoots to the top of my mind. They always govern by caving to consensus. There's two uh, that's that's totally opposite of what actual, you know, uh, affirmative governance should look like. And Ron DeSantis has proven that you can create consensus uh, by governing well. And I think some of the numbers and some of his numbers in Florida have have proven that. And I think uh, Tom drew a, a great comparison there between or contrast, I should say, between Trump and DeSantis. DeSantis has a knack of being able to very clearly and concisely and simply state the policy that is very deep, but in a he's able to state it in a very simple way. Donald Trump always had, I mean, look at the book, the book that we just went through, uh, Plague Upon Our House by Dr. Scott Atlas. Donald Trump, how many times did he have the exact right instinct for almost everything yeah. when it came to coronavirus? Yeah. And they just didn't have the wherewithal or the yeah. strategy to be able to follow through. Ron DeSantis seemingly in Florida, and he's right, you know, governing a state is different than governing the entire country. Uh, Ron DeSantis seems like he's able to follow through and has a definitive strategy. Hmm. I would have said until about a week, until about two weeks ago, I'm, I'm still not convinced that, that Ron would, would run and challenge Trump. And, and this is not any inside word. I, I, I probably need to say that more often to clarify. Do I have an informed opinion or am I making an educated guess? This is an educated guess is uh, I do think he is going to run regardless of what Trump does. And the reason why I think that is just because it's he's term limited in Florida. Yeah, and it's it's it's. Think of the guys who didn't run when they had that momentum. Like Huckabee didn't run in 2012. Christie didn't run in 2012, right? Okay. Uh, the time was it right. Wait the next time. Those guys went nowhere. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the momentum for him right now. You can make a strong case that it will be even higher for him after a, a successful second term, but that's not a guarantee. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What is guaranteed is he has a lot of momentum right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can make a very good analysis. They'll have, he'll have even more going after Trump. I, I think that's a reasonable and smart opinion, but it's an opinion. What I know I have right now is a hell of a lot of political capital to spend. I know I have it right now. We'll come back. Hour two, next.
We are back with Hour 2 live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre. And then there's all of you, and you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter, Getter, TikTok, and Instagram. Find me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace and find clips to watch free to, of any censorship and free of any purchase. When you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show, that's rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. All of you that listen to the podcast, thank you. You are a significant chunk of this audience. Please, if you've yet to do so, leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe and follow. And if you've got a question that you would like to have us consider for the next Ask Me Anything coming up on Monday, put your question inside your five-star review and you'll move to the head of the line for consideration by Todd for the next AMA. Thank you to all of you that have put your five-star reviews in already. And we appreciate each and every one. So we wanted to say thank you. Theology Thursday brought to you by Tyga Coolers. We are getting closer to when I think I am able to show you the special customized nefarious movie cooler that they did for me at Tyga Coolers. You guys, I'm going to make everybody mad. I can't show you the movie clip. I can't show you the Tyga Cooler lid, the Tyga Cooler they did for me. You guys have seen both. Yes. We're seeing you're talking about things. I can't show the audience yet. Okay. I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. If I if I don't give you an update on the movie, you guys get mad and I'll give you an update on the movie. And if I do, but I can't show you, you get mad that I showed you or I did, but then I can't show it to you, right? So that's pretty much just a These day that the ends times in Y. They try yes, Steve. yes. <laughs> Thank you. I, I deserved that. Thank you. Uh, if you just want to get a plain old really good cooler or you want something detailed, customized to your liking, they can do that for you at Tyga Coolers, American-made, limited lifetime warranty, customizable as well. They've got uh, so many great options. It's great for gifts, corporate gifts, uh, friend, family gifts, or a gift to yourself. Visit TaigaCoolers.com, see what they got there, T-A-I-G-A, TaigaCoolers.com, and then if you find something you like when you go to check out put uh, the promo code steve in to get a 10 percent discount at taigacoolers.com t-a-i-g-a promo code steve for 10 percent off we are going to continue our theology thursday book study of my most recent work do what you believe or you won't be free to believe it much longer and the chapter we're going to discuss this week is the inconvenient truth about America. And since, Todd, you're the one that came up with all the study questions uh, in the book, it's only fair that you're the one that asked the questions here in the book study. Well, this chapter is very very much about what time it is uh, and why the way we go about doing things as individuals, believers, the church, the GOP, all of that, it's not sufficient to the time and think earlier in the week the the gentleman steve talked about who apologized to his wife because he just did not want to acknowledge how bad things truly are and that's why he was too passive that's why that let that be the image as we ask the questions and i'm not I, i'm gonna bounce around in order because i think um since i'm asking you and not the general reader they apply differently here i'll start with the second question steve is nostalgia one of the most common forms of idolatry facing american christians do you have examples in your own life of giving undue or misplaced respect to things that are only due to god i think we all do and this is this is the inherent danger of nostalgia is it's easy to recognize 
if um, my relationship with heroin, as an example, is an idol in my life. Okay. Now, I said it was easy to recognize it. I didn't say it was easy to kick it, did I? Right. I didn't see. I didn't say it was easy to beat it. Okay. But I said it was easy to recognize, right? And and because because it adds heroin adds nothing of value. It's just straight up idolatry. It's self medication. It's to it's to you know turn on, tune in, drop out. It's to become someone you aren't, but would like to be for at least a period of time, or to forget the person you are. It is just a straight up self medicate that just leads to increasingly wide swaths of destruction where nostalgia comes in though is it's often tied and tethered to things that at least at one point in time did have value did matter were true and maybe even had lasting value like these things might have been generationally valuable generationally true but but they don't have the only thing there's only there's only two things in this world that have you know I'll say three things three things in this world that have perpetual value faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love that's it those are the only three things that have a perpetual value this is a fallen world it's a temporary resting place for uh, inhabit, in, in, inhabiting place for your soul. And I think that what has hurt us a lot is that we have conflated the terms nostalgia and tradition. And here's, you know, like last hour I talked about conflating the terms pagan and demonic and why that's an important, that's a distinction that is a big difference, okay? Nostalgia and tradition are also distinctions that are a big difference, and let me explain for a minute. Tradition is the recognition that the answers to the present are often found in the past. There is nothing new under the sun. Somewhere along the lines... Someone smart, savvy, successful, or someone dumb, accident-prone, and unsuccessful faced the same challenges you are facing. Faced the same challenges as a society, systemically, we are facing. And that we can go back and look at those examples and learn from them, either what not to do or what to do. While updating, of course, the way that we might honor those examples in the times in which we live, right? I mean, in, in the 7th century, John of Damascus debated actual Islamic clerics and sheikhs in person. One-on-one. You likely may not get that opportunity in this period of time, but you might get an opportunity to do that on a Reddit forum or on a mobile phone or virtually on a Zoom call. I mean, the methodology might be different for the times in which you live, but the, uh, many of the arguments that were still made in the 7th century between these two worldviews are still the same claims that each of them are making right now. And so you can learn from John of Damascus, his, his exchanges during that period of time. Here's what nostalgia does, though. Nostalgia, nostalgia says the tradition is the methods and the conditions on the ground, not the truth. Nostalgia says it has to look and be carried out the way that I've always known it 
in the way that it worked before. Otherwise, it won't work again. Does tradition say there's not a great long history of integrity-laced, credibility-filled, um, and, and grace and truthful leaders of a country known as Russia throughout its various iterations, whether it was a monarchy, whether it was a, a communist oligarchy, or it was the dictatorship it has now, right? There is not a, if we were to do a book, you know, what would be the thinner book? Wise, truthful, and beneficent leaders of Russia or French war heroes, okay? I mean, what's the thinner book? It's a debate. Yes. Fair. It's a debate, right? Okay. So tradition would say to view Vladimir Putin with suspicion until proven otherwise, right? Sure. But here's what nostalgia says. Nostalgia says, the minute he does anything, we have to, it's 1988 all over again. It's 1987 all over again. So um, uh, Zelensky is the new Lekwalesa. And instead of uh, we we need an arms race in our own military, we're just going to actually outsource all of the money that uh, we would have spent building MX missiles and and ICBMs in the 80s. And we'll just send him to the new Lekwalesa, the new green shirted Lekwalesa. We'll just send him endless blank checks over and over again. We can't let this happen. It'll be a new Soviet Union. You see my point? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the difference between tradition and nostalgia. And, 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 and the nostalgia becomes an idol regardless of your religious or political viewpoints. We easily see it when the people on the left turn every political scandal since 1974 into a gate. Everything's a gate. Because that they, that's when that was the that was the last ascendant pinnacle of corporate liberal media in America was Woodward and Bernstein and all the president's men. That was really the last one. And that was also 50 years ago. And that's why they want to keep going back and every new scandal relabel that because they're trying to draw on the nostalgia of that moment to transpose some of that credibility upon them that they have not earned and frankly jettisoned. We're doing it too. That's the conversation we just had a minute in the last segment. Do you know what time it is? He is Vladimir Putin, not Nikita Khrushchev, not Leonid Brezhnev, not Yuri Andropov, not Mikhail Gorbachev, not Boris Yeltsin. He is Vladimir Putin. He's not even Vladimir Putin, the KGB operator, but now Vladimir Putin, the oligarch, the dictator. It is not 1988. It is not 1984. It's 2022. Zelensky is not like Walesa. He's a corruptocrat that was allowing his country to be a laundering scheme for Western for the for the World Economic Forum elites. Well, then that just means you're a Putin lover. No, that just means you're a drunk fool on nostalgia. I don't care how many damn books you've sold. I don't care how many radio stations you're on. You're a fool. That's what it means. Do you know what time it is? Because if you don't, get the hell out of the way of the people who do. And one day, it'll be your turn to say this to me, somebody in this audience. 
do you know what time it is? Nostalgia says, it's always the time I want it to be, the time I was the most comfortable with, the time I know the most about, the time I achieved the best, and I just want to go back. This is the disciples watching Christ on a hill with Moses and Elijah, and they're like, let's build, a, let's build an altar right here, because it couldn't get any better than this. And then later they watch Christ ascend into the heaven, and they're just sitting there dumb, gobsmacked, dumbstruck. They just stood there forever. Finally, a voice from heaven was like, uh, didn't he tell you to get to work? Let's get going here. And we don't do a great job of defending tradition on the right. We are, we are very good at being drunk on our own nostalgia. Does that answer your question? It does. Do you agree that we are now living in a pagan post-Christian country? If not, why? If so, how should your witness change, if at all? What are likely to be the most significant and persistent challenges for a Christian living under pagan rule? So this is where I have to apply everything I just said to myself. Because I, I finished this book about this time last year. And we were just beginning to use very casually and, and infrequently the term demonic about a year ago. And now it is like, you know, it's got its own Aaron's razor. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the show vernacular now. And this is so, that question, the premise of it is true still because there are still attempts to make the state transcendent. Which also which happens in every pagan culture is the state becomes transcendent. I I am God. I'm Caesar. Worship me, the state. In the old in the in the early days of the Old Testament, the Israelites would encounter pagan rulers that would use the term like Baal Peor, Baal meaning Lord. All right, that was the false pagan god of the area. And so Peor was the name of the ruler, meaning he would attach his name to the deity. To make a to, to say either I'm that deity incarnate or I'm I am I am appointed to this position specifically from this deity. So worship me as you would worship it. All right. But we are rapidly now, even in the years since I wrote those words, we are rapidly, as we were also just discussing last hour, gentlemen, descending directly into the demonic. And that's a rejection of transcendence altogether. And we worship what we have always really wanted to worship the most ever since uh, ever since original sin got downloaded into our DNA ourselves so the answer to this question is of course yes we are living in a pagan culture that that means moving us back to a pre western civilization understanding of the world a pre judeo christian understanding of the world yes today's progressives are not progressive at all they're regressives they want to go back to, you know, pre-dark ages or during the dark ages. But we are rapidly, because you don't stay in that place for very long. You're, you're descending down Jacob's ladder here. We are rapidly approaching the, the, the Mutara Nebula here, okay? The final stage of the battle. Just straight up demonic. Where, where it's not even your, it's not even your bastardized version of transcendence or truth scientism we're just going to go to that's my truth 
Like, I, like I, I'll stop projecting things onto science that it cannot do for me, like scientism, and just start saying what I want is science. That's what I mean. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want the science to tell me that masks work. So that's the science now. It's not, I know science will create a mask that will work. That's scientism. Science conjures truth. Demonic, that's paganism. Demonic is, I am the science. That's what demonic is. I represent science. I, it, I, I am, it, it, because it represents what I want. It represents my views, my truth, what I think matters most. Let's take a break there before we continue on with the study and remind you about ScoreMaster. As interest rates continue to climb, we could be shortly looking at interest rates on a 30-year home mortgage, double what they were last fall when we did our refi. That means it's more important than ever before to make sure you've got the best credit score you can get because that'll give you the most leverage in these times of let's go, Brandon. And our friends at ScoreMaster can help you get there. We used ScoreMaster last year uh, to help us get to the score that we wanted. And now you can do the exact same thing. They put your information where it belongs, in your hands, so that you're not going through a third party to find out your file. It's yours. Find out exactly why you have the score you have, and then find out exactly how to get to the score you want. When you go to scoremaster.com slash Steve, again, head over to scoremaster.com slash Steve. All right, I'm going to alter this question a little bit to make it more broad. Uh, what are you, be brutally honest, what are your most significant pagan slash secular slash nostalgic addictions as a man? And that's the change I made. I want you to target it to the problems with, because we've addressed that several times. You pointed out twice on this, that by the way, as a man. So let's address that mm-hmm. as a man that make living a compelling Christian witness the most difficult. Comfort yep. is number one, number two, number three, number nine, number 14, number 27, number 52, number 66. It's every number. It's every number. As we discussed yesterday, why does Adam stand there? He is not in fear of the serpent. If Adam was in, Adam knew he had dominion over this creature. He named this creature. He named all the creatures. He was given that dominion directly from God himself. If Adam was afraid of the serpent, he would have done what you and I do when we see a snake. Where's my gun or how fast can I run? Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. He didn't run. He sits there. He stands there gobsmacked while this encounter goes on. Just unwilling to engage. The fear is the cost of the, is he's, is, is paying, is the willingness to pay the cost of the confrontation. And so when the second Adam is in his garden and he faces the same temptation, what does he pray? He's fearful. He's sweating blood. That's an extreme form of anxiety fear clinically. But then he says, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. Meaning, I will pay the consequences of the confrontation. Comfort has, has softened to many of us as men and has conditioned us that these accoutrements we take for granted. And I want to make this perfectly clear because I'm not like Todd. 
He's more hardcore than me. I can tell you flat out, man. We are, what is it, uh, 43 days. I know what you're doing. And 23 hours before the 2022 college football season kicks off, if my math is right. One year ago from, from this past Tuesday, or one year from this past Tuesday, I'm taking a day off of work, guys. Okay? The only thing that's stopping me from taking a day off from work to play the new AA Sports College football game is that that's the date Nefarious comes out. <laughs> All right? That's it. Nothing else. All right? I am an ugly American. I don't want to camp. I don't want to travel. I don't want my Mexican food from Taco Bell. So I, I will put my ugly American street cred up against yours at any, at, 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 you can, I mean, seriously. I, I told my wife she could have the entire home we bought 16 years ago. I just wanted the basement so I could construct a place I would never have to leave if I did not want to. So I don't think vinegar is a food group. I do think chocolate chip cookie dough is one. All right. I am. And I think Todd would admit this. I absolutely overcome him in ugly Americanness. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. Fair. Dude, he even likes soccer. Does it get it more anti-American than that? <laughs> All right. Okay. So take this from one of you. I'm one of you. I'm one of your peeps, man. All right. This would be the equivalent of Todd went to the local soccer federation and said, guys, we got to really do something about that offsides rule. He's a true believer. He's in. Those are his people. That's his quarterback. And if he were to even recognize the truth that they needed a blue line in soccer, they should listen to him. Right? I'm one of you, guys. I'm one of you. I still do my own college football preview that almost no one will read. And I've done it since I was in the 10th grade. I'm one of you. So take it from me in the spirit that this is intended. If you don't get a little more comfortable being uncomfortable, you're going to lose all those accoutrements that you love the most about being an American. Because they're supposed to be dessert, not that's the exactly, main meal. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Which is why, as you know, I've always told Steve, this is why it makes sense in your life. You, we see the order. We see God. We see family. We Correct. see we see everything that you do on this show every day. We see the same. Hey, have you made a couple enemies and lost some money because of this whole gig? Yep. We've all seen it with our own eyes. If you do that, then you get to have some basement time and whatever it is, you get to have it. If you don't, you don't get to have it anyways. That's exactly right. Tr- taking it outside of its leisure sector in your brain and in your lifestyle where it belongs and putting it in these other sectors are going to cause you to lose all of the sectors okay i don't want to lose all the sectors i still want to know in the middle of april how many days it is until the college football season begins i want i would like to hear todd kvetch about the star wars universe well into the next couple of decades okay but if, if, if we don't understand that to everything there is a time and a season and everything with moderation and you've been way too moderating, moderating of your aggression and initiative and it's time to let that line out of the cage a little more, 
you're going to lose, fellas, we're going to lose all those things that make us the ugly Americans we like to be. We're going to lose them all. And so we don't even have to like do this full time, man. Okay. But we at least got to do it part time. <laughs> some of the time. Got to give it some time. Okay. It can't just be mama bear at every school board meeting, guys. It can't be. I'm not saying you have to, you know, get together with the other dads and drop the kids off at school all 180 days of the school year without masks. But you've, are you willing to do it the first 10, 20 days of the school year to make your point? Because then if you do, you won't have to do it the next other 160 of them. Do you see the point I'm trying to make? Get your bleep done first, man. Get your bleep done first. Do what you are called to do. And then after that is completed, enjoy the spoils of the of the ugly Americanism that you have conserved for yet another generation. All right? Amen. But you have got to take care of your bleep first. Handle your bleep first. Well, let me get this question in because it's perfect. Okay. It, it, putting a uh, finer point on that. What quality of a pilgrim or a son of liberty... Do you feel you must reclaim as an individual or the nation must reclaim as a whole in order to make a positive impact? Read, get your bleep done in the culture. First of all, you have to accept that those are the things you have to reclaim, right? There's this idea of, um, you know, we, we can repair this. No, you can, you have to restore it. There is a difference between repairing something and restoring something. When a home has become dilapidated beyond being livable, it can't merely be repaired. It has to be restored. Same thing with an automobile. Same thing with a relationship. And so it has to be restored. What does that mean? Well, the first two things that you became to create this thing we call America, one was a pilgrim. They started the whole thing. The pilgrims did. That's why when my next book comes out this fall, my first children's book, that, and, and, and we wanted to start it, where does America's Christian heritage begin? At the beginning. Who were the beginning? The pilgrims. It starts there with them. You are a stranger in a strange land. So just as, just as Squanto spoke their language, but he wasn't of their custom. These buildings and things that you are surrounded by still may have your language upon them, but they are not of your custom. See the point I'm trying to make mm -hmm. here? So treat them accordingly. You have to first accept you are a pilgrim. You are a stranger in a strange land. I mean, I was just reading a critique Media Matters did of our colleague, Allie Beth Stuckey, during the break. This woman seems to think that um, being a biological mom is an accomplishment and being a good wife to her husband is like her driving force in her life. And they just, you can feel the disdain coming over the keyboard as these words are being written. They don't know you man and your customs. You're a pilgrim. Doesn't matter if they speak the same language as you or grew up in the same neighborhood. You're a pilgrim. Embrace that. Get rid of the nostalgia. Embrace the tradition. You're a pilgrim. And then, 
once you understand that, what does it take then to manifest the sentiments and ideals in that Mayflower compact into a way to actually govern, into a practical way to govern and live east of Eden? Well, that's when you become a son of liberty. Because those guys had to win before we, before we ever got to a constitution. Those guys had to win. They were pre-constitution. You're post-constitution. So embrace the radicalism. You're an insurgent. You know why it stings when they call people involved in January 6th an insurgency? Because we know it is true. And we don't want to be insurgents. We want to be comfortable I'm not saying that was the greatest methodology of insurgency. But they're not, they're not just lying when they are trying to project everyone who would dare dissent from their agenda into a January 6th or an insurgent. They're actually being honest. Uncomfortably so. And it may be like, I'm not one of those people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you would have never shown up at that event and never stormed that capital. What matters is... Do you think differently and believe differently than them? And are you willing to act on it? Then it's just as if you did. So embrace being an insurgent. That's what the Sons of Liberty were. So crypto still carries a lot of value when it comes to particularly Bitcoin, when it comes to building an alternative economy, right? You can use it as a direct peer-to-peer currency. However, it has clearly demonstrated so far this year, it is not an effective hedge against inflation or government chicanery or skullduggery that causes your economy to tank. As all of us who have invested a not insignificant amount of money into Bitcoin are bitterly learning here the last few months. So what is a good traditional hedge against inflation? Well, the one that's kind of stood the test of time. I mean, wherever the really smart people, where do they put their money in times of economic crisis in hard assets and commodities like gold and silver? And that's where you, that's where our friends at Bullion Max come in right now. They can get you started. Uh, with their uh, silver starter kit, and they'll offer it to you at employee pricing. They can't give it to you any more inexpensive than that. Same rate they charge their employees. It includes the uh, famous silver American Eagle coin and more. They'll offer it to you right now at employee pricing to get you started when you go to bullionmax.com slash Steve. That's bullionmax.com slash Steve. And if you want to do a more aggressive diversification into gold and silver, they can help you with that as well. When you go to bullionmax.com slash Dave. So we are off tomorrow um, because of the Family Leadership Summit when we're going to be screening the first footage for Nefarious. And Tucker Carlson is the keynote speaker. So a lot of people, including myself including, looking forward to that. So we thought we'd close it out today. Normally we do three non-political questions right now. But since there won't be a Friday show, how about an abbreviated Feedback Friday? You guys ready to go? Okay. Let's do it. Charles Shimko writes, I was at a Father's Day party with my wife's family last year. My wife's uncle is a devotee to all things anti-Trump. He got COVID early on in San Diego. He was approached by doctors to get the COVID jab because of his notoriety there and his previous infection to see what would happen. Meaning that, hey, let us experiment on you. He had serious side effects to being experimented upon. His response to that was to go back and tell the docs that there was no issue at all, though, with the shot, and then go get a second one. I asked him why he lied. 
And his answer was, I didn't want to dissuade anyone from getting it. This whole thing has always been a lie and based on false facts. You're right about why there's a difference in um, side effects shown in different parts of the country. It's because there's devotion to this shot in places like California. I don't think they are sifting shots. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that? Oh, why can't it be both? I can uh, see it being both. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I, I, no one's, I, I, when it comes to a devotion, a religion around these shots, you have to get in line behind me. I mean, trust me, I, I, I'm absolutely about that. But because this devotion works at multiple levels, there are the crack addicts and then there are the pushers. And they they scheme in different ways to get their fix. One is just the fix of the drug, the emotional, psychological fragility, uh, being uh, masked in, in some sort of fake scientism and superiority. But the other one is just like puppet master of the entire world. Right. I mean, it is it, it's Sauron, Eye of Sauron stuff. So you can you have to work on both levels. It's not an either or. Uh, what scenario would be the worst possible explanation or uh, worst possible scenario? That's See, my, I, I that's think my... devotion is even worse than diabolical. Okay, because... How do I put this? It's the gaslighting it, it, of yourself. It, it, yes, yeah. it's easier to go to war with diabolical than it is devotion yeah. because you're gaslighting yourself. Yes, yeah. The programming goes deep. Correct, yeah. At least that would be my answer. Maybe somebody has a different one. JP says, if the current state of our country were a song, so he's doing to me what I do to you guys on the day group all the time, which song would it be? A, Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. B, Fade to Black by Metallica. C, Runaway, Bon Jovi. Four, Under Pressure, that's the Queen with uh, David Bowie. Five, I'm Still Standing by Elton John. Oh, we're Fade to Black right now. That, yeah. that, that doesn't mean it can't change later, but we're Fade to Black right now. What do you yeah, think the first two. Fade to Black was the second one, right? What was the Comfortably first one? Numb by Pink Floyd. Yeah. One of the greatest songs we're, of all well, time. Well, we're fading to black because we're comfortably numb. Yeah. See, I, I'm glad you went there. I viewed this actually as a progression. That being comfortably numb leads, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So fade to black. And, and then you, uh, when you realize, oh crap, we're fading to black. That's kind of when I got to get out of here. The runaway thing comes in, right? All right. I got to get to a red state. I got to self-separate. I got to make my red state redder. Um, and then you start feeling the pressure, realizing what the stakes are, and that if we don't succeed here in, in, in our generation peaceably, we will subject the next one to do this in non-peaceable means. And then if you're successful, you get to the I'm still standing stage. I kind of viewed this as a, as a flow chart. More so than a, a, a snapshot. That's yeah. the way I took it. An album, if you will. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. Um, you guys are going to like this one. Not that you didn't like the other ones. My name is Kyle Weber, and I am a deputy district attorney for the Imperial County District Attorney's Office in Southern California. I wanted to reach out to you, as so many others do, to thank you guys for what you do on a near-daily basis. I've been listening to your show since January of 2017, just before I started law school here in San Diego. To say that you guys have helped me not only better my life, but better my marriage with my wife would be the greatest understatement I can think of. It's no surprise just by reading the first sentence in this email that I live in a region of the country that is somewhat, shall we say, hostile to the values that your show promotes, which is why I enjoy it all the more. 
I'm a contrarian at heart. Half the time I find myself even disagreeing with my own wife by default until I give myself a second to course correct. And you guys are the closest I've ever heard that might understand maybe that inclination. Law school was very difficult for my wife and I as we had gotten married a few months before that and the divorce rate for law students is in long-time marriages is astronomical, let alone brand new marriages. Christ was the only reason that my wife and I are still together. And watching your show, listening to you guys, was the only way that, uh, that I was being helped to learn how to live day by day, struggling as a baby Christian. For everything that you guys do, thank you. For every day, each of you guys wake up and continue to trek through the slime that is modern day culture in the hopes of passing on the light of Christ. Thank you. If you guys should ever be interested in getting the perspective of a prosecutor living in the Southwest United States, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. P.S. You can use my name live on the air. I have nothing to hide about myself or my views. The first two sentences. I was like, wow. Right. This guy has a lot to lose, actually. And he's not afraid. That's my big takeaway. Right on. Dude code lived. Indeed. All right. Here's another Kyle. Just watched your July 5th show and saw the portion of Aaron's montage with the new deputy nuclear appointee. So this is the guy who has the uh, psychosis of gender dysphoria. And is it like nuclear waste management or something, Aaron? That was yeah, his I title, so. correct? Okay. Yeah. All right. Kyle says, uh, I grew up with Sam Britton. He grew up in Perry, Iowa, about 30 minutes from where you probably sit while doing your show every day. He grew up in a strict Baptist family. I not only saw him at vacation Bible school and other church programs, he helped with some of those programs as a high school kid. I don't think his family even owned a TV. And if the radio was on in the car, it was on the local Christian station, listening to sermons or Adventures in Odyssey. Dude, don't knock Adventures in Odyssey, man. Don't knock that to your rocket. That's some good production right there. This guy grew up in a good Christian home. Then he went to college and the change happened. I was home on leave one time and sat with him in a Sunday morning small group and I could just hear it. The way that he talked, his mannerisms, I could just see it. Then a year or so later, my mom confirmed it. He was gone, lost to the spirit of the age. This was all pre-2015 before um, this disgusting defense of this website. What was it called? Rent Boy was the guy's website? I think so. Yeah. It just breaks my heart because I fear for my kids. Who will I admit I haven't had the best ex- haven't had the best example, but maybe this has shaken me and awoke me. Maybe this won't make the Friday listener feedback hour, but please, Steve, don't stop t- trying to reach parents that we have to wage the war for our kids right now. I know you push the school sponsor that protects the kids. That's Freedom Project Academy. Keep pushing stuff like that. I say this because if that kid from a strong Christian home can be lost to the wiles of the spirit of the age, then any kid can. Again, that's from a different Kyle. Thoughts on that? Well, one thing about the strong Christian home, but whatever, you know, Catholic, Protestant, because I, I remember this uh, a while back. It, it is it is Christian to protect your children, but it is not Christian to and I'm, I, I'm not saying I can't possibly know this is what happened in this particular case, but it's an p- important point of discussion to shelter them so much so that when that departure happens, it is it, it is just ripping off a Band-Aid and all of it comes at once. Uh, you know, S- Steve has told you how he's talked uh, to his children uh, over the course of raising them, as have I. They they know the, the darkness out there. At the appropriate times, different conversations when they were 15 and when they were 5. Um, 
but it can't your entire life uh raising them it can't just be vacation bible school again i'm not saying that that's what happened in this specific case but i think it's what when that when that happens in college it just ends up taking in evil from a fire hose and they simply have not been prepared yeah and yeah this the sam brinton thing i i read about his bio he grew up in perry which is just a, a stone's throw away from where we record here um and it is a case study an extreme one but a case study of what todd was just saying you know we we've made a lot of jokes about the boy in the bubble when it comes to coronavirus We've been doing this in a different way spiritually for a long, long time, and it's resulted in an entire generation of kids. I'm thinking millennials and maybe a couple of generations, millennials to a lesser extent, but still a great extent, and definitely Gen Z. I see this all the time with Gen Z of kids who whose air that they breathe is 180 degrees opposed to, you know, reality and truth. They don't know a world where they're even challenged on any of the foundational building blocks of society or truth. And when that happens, you get people like uh, Mr. Brinton, an extreme example, but one that happens all too often. Because I think for a long time, parents, I'm sure motivated, uh, had good motivations or good intentions, I should say. There's a big difference. Good intentions spiritually put their kids in a boy in the bubble type of situation no more of that doesn't mean we expose them does not mean we expose children before they're uh when you and spoil their innocence but guys uh they have to be challenged they have to be challenged and it's going to be a challenge for you as well i'll say this because i'm at the age right now with my kids all three of them my youngest is 15. Um, I'm at the age right now where let's find out. Did we do the right thing? And, and I have asked myself plenty of questions and have had plenty of doubts. Should I have been more forceful? Should we have done the traditional? And when I bring this up as an analogy, it's an homage. I, I have huge props for Vody Bauckham. I just, so that, you know, I, I, so that I don't mean that to be, I don't bring him up in the same spirit that I might bring up a Joel Osteen in a different context. So this is an homage. Should we have been done the more traditional homeschool family, which we were, you know, Vody Bauckham devotionals at dinner at night. We didn't do that stuff. And, you know, I, I tried to read the room and as a dad, as the head of my home and the vibe that I got was, that my personality on top of the calling that it goes along with it could be exhausting. It could overwhelm them that at four, five, six, and seven, they would just sit there every night and, and want to please me and go and do it as long as I want to. Right. But what would happen at 13, 14 or 15 when they don't want to please me as much, they don't need my approval. I think they don't as much as they once did. I'm not automatically the smartest guy they know anymore. It, 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 am I now just sucking the air and the oxygen out of the room? And so they, they almost start to view dad's persona slash calling as, as a burden. And then they start looking for things that get them out of that obligation, right? So, you know, we made the decision in our home 
that we were very direct about communicating our values and what we believed and why we believed them and where they came from and would reinforce them in the kids' education choices. But then we also left them quite a bit of room to become their own individuals at the exact same time. I don't know if it'll work. We'll see. I don't know. Here's what I do know. I know people that did the Vody Bauckham all the way through and struck out with all of their sons. I know people who did that. Every single had, every kid, every son they had, they struck out with them all. I know kids who did it. I know families that did that and went like Moses Malone, foe, foe, four. They swept the field. Okay. It worked great. You know, I, 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 I didn't, I came from a pagan home. You guys know that. No one would have known me at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 28 years old and thought, that's your future Christofascist culture warrior. <laughs> no one would have known that, you know? So here's the best advice I can give as someone who still doesn't know if I did it right. And I'm at the stage now. I'm at the stage with my kids that I am with my movie. I've almost done everything I can do. There's still a little more I can do with Zoe and a little, quite a bit more I can do with Noah as a young man. But I'm closer to the stage where it's totally out of my hands and it was fully in my hands. That's at least true, right? Yeah. So, so I'm getting to the point now where now I just got it like with the movie. I did all I could do and I have to entrust that the people we hired know what they're doing and sit back and find out. You know? And I'm at that stage now with my kids. I can promise you there is no foolproof method. Except I can, there isn't one method that doesn't work. Being a flaming hypocrite in front of your children. Um, being de- detached. And pharisaical in your demands. I know that does not work every time it's tried. I know that. Now what does work is a mixing metaphor. Because they're not formulas they're people just like we are we'll close it out by reminding you about our friends at real estate agents i trust.com in these unprecedented times Bing. make sure you do not go into the real estate market without an agent that you can trust and where would you find them well the name kind of says it all head over to real estate agents i trust.com and find yourself an agent with a fully verified track record long-term track record of success not hey i got a couple nice sales last year no these are people that you can trust. Otherwise, we wouldn't put them on a website called realestateagentsitrust.com. So just about anywhere you want to move to or get away from, we can help you find one of those at realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, we're out of here tomorrow for the Family Leadership Summit. We're going to stick around and record overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great long weekend. I hope you enjoy it. And then we'll see you again on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.